When it comes to investing, there are two words we've heard a lot during COVID-19, roller coaster. Before the pandemic, investors saw pretty steady gains and markets were hitting all-time highs. But when the virus hit, it wreaked havoc on global markets. Crashing oil prices, uncertain supply chains, entire industries coming to a grinding halt. It's no wonder people were running to check their portfolios or running to Netflix to forget what's going on. But the pandemic also has people rethinking how they invest, and they're looking at what companies are doing and not doing when it comes to the environment and social good. So what's happening now, and where do we go from here? To sort things out, I'm joined by Joe Reed, Vancity's VP of Wealth Management and Impact Investing. Hi again, Joe. Hey, Annika. So, Joe, the markets have been all over the place, and a lot of people earlier this year were losing sleep, watching their retirement savings and their kids' education funds plummet. What have we seen so far? You know what? It really has felt like a, a roller coaster ride for sure. Prior to COVID, the markets have been doing so well for so long. In fact, we were at record highs. And then all of a sudden, we saw, you know, with that downturn on the roller coaster, we start going down the hill. And we saw the markets plummet, you know, seeing losses in a single day of 10, 11 percent, which is usually unheard of. And we saw the markets as a whole, you know, the major indexes going down 25 to 30 percent. But then all of a sudden we started to see that correction happen where the market started to come back up and we started to see record gains all of a sudden coming right back out of it. So that up and down motion of a roller coaster is really what I think investors have been feeling as a whole as we've gone through. But what it's done is it's created a lot of volatility. And with volatility, there's a lot of opportunity out there to, you know, pick up some good deals that are out there on the market. And we've started to see with the upturn in the markets where I think there are some people that are out there looking for the equivalent of the Boxing Day or the Cyber Monday deals that are out there um, when it comes to the investment companies and buying quality companies. Okay, so there's it's one of those rare times where you might actually be able to get a good deal. But I know personally speaking, it's hard to buy stocks when they hit record lows because you kind of think, I don't know if they're going to get any lower. And if everyone seems to be selling, why the heck would I buy? So at times like these, what do people tend to get wrong? I think the biggest thing that people do wrong in times like this is really act on emotion. We know the old adage that you want to buy low and sell high. But what ends up happening is that when we see volatility like we've seen is that people do the complete opposite. They end up buying high and selling low. And part of that is because they get caught up in the volatility, that emotional feel to watching something go up. And when it's going up, they want to jump on board like everybody else. And when it's going down, they want to run for the hills and get out of it. Another thing that investors can do at a time like this is want to sit on the sidelines. And that can be just as big a challenge as trying to buy and, and sell at, a, at the wrong point. Because a lot of times when you're sitting on the sidelines, you're sitting there and you're watching the market go up. And because it's very hard to time the market, in fact, you know, I'd love to go out and pick up a crystal ball, but I've yet in my career found anybody who can consistently time the market. And in fact, anybody that tells you that they can, they're the ones that you really want to stay away from because 
if they were actually able to to consistently do it, they'd be sitting on an island somewhere in a big mansion, you know, raking in all the money that they've made on the market. The challenge is it's not simple like that. And when you're trying to time the market and buy in at the right time, you run the risk of making a mistake. And that's why the best time to invest is when you have the money, when you know the type of company that you want to buy, and you look for that opportunity to work with an advisor who can, you know, help to guide you into getting into the market. And looking at maybe there are some attractive purchases out there to be made, but it's knowing that you're not going to try and and get it at the absolute lowest or you're not going to try and sell out at the absolute highest. It's getting in and out of the market when is the right time for you. And that could be just as simply as you have some money to invest or you need to take some money out because you need to buy something. And that could be the reason why you want to buy or sell into something. Right. So I'm I'm hearing that crystal balls are in short supply, but otherwise invest for the long term, not a quick profit. So when it does come to markets, which industries have been hit hardest and what do you think's done well right now? Sectors that have gone down are the areas that we're not using as much. So anything that is travel related, airlines, cruise ship, um, retail markets have been affected, of course, by it. You know, my daughter recently flew um, to Toronto from Vancouver as she was starting her career. And you, you're looking at the airlines being, you know, 10 to 20 percent capacity on their their flights. Um, we've seen big layoffs in the airline sector and in the travel sector as well. Oil and gas, they have bounced back up, but we saw them hitting record lows. And you can understand why the the you know oil prices have gone down because if people aren't driving and they're not traveling, oil gets affected by that, and it actually leads to a, an interesting question around you know are we seeing with oil demand are we hitting that sort of peak right now where when people come back from after COVID and if they do go back to the office or if they are starting to to travel more, will we see demand pick up to the same degree or are we going to see people doing less of that, maybe working more from home going forward and maybe traveling less so that oil prices do maybe stay down on that longer scale? When it comes to areas that have done well, you know, it's those areas that we're using. So groceries, um, grocery companies have done well. Tech or digital companies, you know, companies like Amazon, Shopify, um, Zoom are companies that have done very, very well in this time. Healthcare companies, you know, as we start to look for the treatments or the vaccines or the way that we're going to, to come out of COVID. So it really breaks down to the companies, those areas that we're not doing as much. Those are the ones that are suffering and the areas that we're starting to use more. They're the ones that have actually done fairly well during this time. You know, it's interesting. You were talking about demand for oil. Um, I just read that Edmonton has just rescinded their bylaw requiring a minimum number of parking spots on new buildings because they can see that the demand for cars has gone down over time. Um, the story I was reading actually said, and to quote another famous Edmontonian, you skate where the puck is going, not where the puck has been. <laughs> and Definitely. that city, which is, yeah, so it kind of tends to be very much around the car is really seeing that change over time as well. Well, and I think that's where, I mean, Gretzky is, is probably one of the, the smartest uh, hockey players ever and, and that quote coming from him. And I think that's where you're starting to see businesses and, and developers look in other areas. You know, when my wife and I moved into the, the condo that we're in right now, um, one of the first things that they advertised with the, the condo building was the ability to have um, each spot has a, a locker to it. And in each of those lockers, there's an electrical outlet for people like myself who have an EV vehicle, electric vehicle. So definitely the the trend, and that's where Gretzky talking about going where the puck is going to go to rather than where it is at the moment in time. 
Mm-hmm, right. So, you know, the demand for oil then is likely to stay low for some time. And of course, that means a big shift in markets in, in Canada, which brings me to the subject of socially responsible investments or what people used to call ethical investments. They're often the ones that don't include oil and other fossil fuels. A lot of people are thinking they don't do as well as traditional investments. But what are we learning about how socially responsible investments perform in a crisis? You know, I, I think it's a it's a great question. Maybe before I get into the answer on that, you know, we hear all these different terms that are out there, ESG, socially responsible investing, ethical investing, and impact investing, and what do they really mean from it? So it's generally used to identify investments that consider social, environmental, and governance standards, where you're looking at analyzing a company, not just based on the balance sheet, but also based on other layers to it. And then when you have impact investing, it's really about companies that are advancing the social side of things. So, you know, you're starting to see these become more mainstream than they ever were before. And part of the reason for that is investing responsibly really is no longer about sacrificing, you know, profits or taking on additional risk or having to spend more money in order to invest that way. You know, it think a lot of people in the past have thought that when you look at investing from a a responsible perspective, that you're going to take on more risk, it's going to cost you more money, and you're not going to make as much. And the reality is we've actually seen it where it's the complete opposite, especially during times like with COVID, where sustainable funds have actually showed a lot more resilience in the marketplace than the traditional um, funds will. And, And part of that is exactly what you alluded to, that A lot of these funds that are out there don't invest in oil and gas companies. They don't invest in companies that uh, maybe have challenges on their environmental records. You know, when you you look at at the beginning of this year, um, the global fund index in terms of for sustainable funds, we saw over $45.6 billion go in in Q1 of 2020. Now, what's interesting about that is during that same time, you saw an outflow of money of almost $400 billion U.S., from regular mutual funds or regular funds. So where you see the traditional way of investing is seeing outflows, that responsible investing is actually seeing more money go into it. In fact, sustainable investing has actually doubled over the last seven years in terms of money going into it. And we know for a fact that Europe has been the leader in this area for a long period of time, but we're starting to see in North America where more and more companies and investment funds are out there that are actually looking at taking more of a responsible investing lens or socially responsible investing lens to the way that they do things. And in Canada, you know, what we've actually seen during the crisis where these funds have actually outperformed and early on in the the COVID crisis to a degree of almost 10 to 12 percent higher in some cases than what traditional funds have done in that same period of time. Hmm, So interesting. And so, you know, is it about risk? What is it that makes these companies do better? What is it about these funds that are doing better? Yeah, you know what? In the simplest terms, it's good business. Um, Responsible investing, by taking that extra level of analyzing and not just having it be about the balance sheet, but looking into, you know, what are their policies around hiring and around pay when it comes to gender policies? Um, When you start to look at how these companies are impacting the communities that they're working in or that they're um, dealing in, and then what is the impact that they have on the environment? You know, we're starting to understand that there's a risk mitigation to, to this for investors. You know, Lac-Megantic in Quebec back in, in 2013, that's that train derailment that basically spilled, you know, 
7 million tons of, of oil, uh, petroleum out into the town. It went into the, the river. It affected the town for years to come. Or more locally, you know, back in, in June in, in our local area, we saw the Sumas pump station out in Abbotsford where we saw about 150,000 litres of oil that spilled into the environment because of a pipe not fitting right. So this isn't the first time that's happened in that area. In fact, it's the fourth time in the last 15 years that we've seen in that area that impact happening. And it's not just on the environment. It affects the overall communities there as well. So right now, for me, it's becoming less of a question of why would you invest in a responsible way to why wouldn't you want to invest in a responsible way? Why wouldn't you want to invest in companies that look after their employees that are stewards to the community and that have a positive impact on the environment. So again, it's why wouldn't you rather than why would you? Yeah, and it seems like more and more companies are going to need to have a, a social purpose pitch in addition to their elevator pitch. You know, what is it that makes them worthwhile as a company, but what are they doing to make things better too? Well, and I think that's where as consumers, you know, we've, we've looked a lot at the products that we buy and, you know, organic is a, is a prime example of, you know, grocery products and, and produce that we want to buy. Now, when you're starting to look at from an investment point of view, that responsible investment lens starts to come in where you're looking at wanting to have that same type of thing. Companies that are good, that are not impacting in a negative way, but are actually giving back in some way to the overall community and the environment. And, you know, more and more people are looking at what companies are doing in terms of their charitable giving and their work in the community. And a company that's been doing things a little differently during the COVID era is Lumira Ventures. They're a Canadian venture capital firm that specializes in cutting-edge healthcare technology. And when COVID hit, they took the money they would normally use for travel and other expenses, and they gave it to restaurants to help feed people in need. So it helps the restaurants and people in the community. We spoke with Lemire's managing general partner, Peter Vandervelden, and we asked him why they've chosen to go the more socially responsible route. We are passionate about what we do. Our people come into the office every single day excited about the fact that we are changing patients' lives. That's the beauty of what we do. We can still be in the business of driving real investment returns for the limited partners who are in our funds. But at the same time, we can deliver products and technologies to patients that fundamentally change their lives. If you look at one of the uh, companies that we just sold, they've developed the first therapy to help patients with epilepsy manage their seizures. So when a patient is starting to get that aura around a seizure coming on, they can simply uh, inhale this product and it stops their seizures. And, and a story like that really resonates with our team, not only because we saw it as a great opportunity, but the founder of that company was a gentleman whose daughter was affected by epilepsy, and he was passionate about finding a cure for her. I think the great thing about what we do is I don't think we make a trade-off around returns. I think what's happened, certainly over the last 10 years, is healthcare venture has actually outperformed almost any other kind of venture, whether it's conventional IT venture or, or whether it's you know other aspects of, of the venture ecosystem. And so we just haven't had to make trade-offs. We've been able to do what drives us passionately, and we've been able to do it in a way that drives real returns for the people who invest in our funds. And that's that double bottom line, and that I think really gets everyone in our firm up every single day.
Yeah, it's really interesting, Joe, that idea of that double bottom line that we can have these two kinds of impacts. There's the profits, but there's also other levels to those kinds of impacts. I, I agree. And I think that's where you're, you're starting to see more and more investors that are looking for those opportunities, not just to be investing in a company just for the sake of making money, but they want to make sure that how they're making that money is being done in a, a positive way. What really struck me there when is when he's talking about seeing returns that are better than technology. I think a lot of the times people equate quality returns with some new technical innovation. But what we see on the healthcare area is that's actually some of the areas where innovation is happening on a daily basis. And technology does obviously play a part in it. But when we look, and COVID's a prime example of it, you can see why companies that are spending the time to solve a problem there can have a positive impact as an investment. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder if this is a good space for us to talk a bit about climate, too. If the pandemic has taught us anything is that we are all so incredibly interconnected. And while we've all been consumed by COVID for these last several months, the climate is still one of our most pressing problems. And it's really tied to economy and the markets. What trends are you seeing when it comes to investing in climate change specifically? The biggest trend is really the recognition that there's a dire need to invest with climate change as a focus. You know, when we talk about the the double um, bottom line that the Peter was mentioning, here's where we can add a third part to that. And, you know, he was talking about profit and people. And the third part is planet. And we're starting to see where investing in a way that has a positive um, change around climate used to be more a nice to have. Now it's table stakes. It's a necessity simply because we're starting to see the impacts of climate change on our, our world around us. You know, we've noticed in the last you know couple of years where it's the younger generations that have basically stood up and they're saying, yeah, we're not going to take it like this anymore. We want to see companies, we want to see governments at all levels, you know, municipal, provincial, federal, and then international as well companies and governments coming together to actually create positive impacts around climate change. And in fact, millennials are really, they're the ones that are responsible for the rise that we've seen in socially responsible investing. They're looking for their money to go back and create change, whether that be locally or, you know, on the more global side. We're also starting to see where large companies, large investment firms are taking note of this. You know, we've seen some of the largest companies like BlackRock, um, Credit Suisse, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan. We're also seeing in Canada companies like RBC, NEI Investment, IA Clarington that have either grown their focus when it comes to climate and responsible investing or they're doubling down on it and they're making it a major focus of the way that they invest their clients' money. So, and in Canada, you know what? I think we're seeing that a lot of people are wanting their investments to reflect their own personal values. So they're looking to make sure that their money is invested not only in products and, and companies that are doing good, but on companies that can actually stand up and are showing to be leaders when it comes to climate change. So from a, a climate point of view, you know, that focus has, it's never been more mainstream than it is now. In fact, I was at a conference, the Responsible Investing Conference for Canada, and I remember going back a few years where it was, you know, very small number of firms that were there and um, sitting in on the, the sessions. This year's, of course, was done more uh, virtual than in person. But what I really noticed was the number of large investment companies and 
the number of advisors that were actually coming to the conferences here in numbers that we just haven't seen before. So I think that definitely what we're seeing is that that companies are paying attention to what the younger generation is is wanting. Part of it is because we have to. We, you know, climate change is not something that is a myth, a story. It's something that we're facing on a day-by-day basis. So it's definitely more mainstream now than ever before. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you mentioned millennial investors at the perhaps other end of the scale. I know that the Queen's Investment Advisors just announced that they're decarbonizing her portfolio by, I think, 23 percent this year and 50 percent by 2030. I mean, that's also pretty mainstream, too, right, that the Queen's investors are starting to do that, too. Definitely. And I think that's where when we talk about, a you know, a child shall lead them, I think that's what we're starting to see now. That younger generation is causing that ripple effect around where, you know, if the Queen's now asking for um, that to happen and we're seeing more mainstream companies looking at that, it's not something that is, you know, that far off uh, way of investing. It is actually something that more and more people are wanting to do and needing to do as well. You're listening to Good Money, brought to you by Van City. I'm Annika Quinn, and I'm chatting with Joe Reed, the VP of Wealth Management and Impact Investing at Van City. Coming up, how you can green your investments. And we have lots more financial tips in the weeks ahead, so don't forget to hit subscribe. So, Joe, you were talking about healthy communities, and in in recent months, we've seen massive social movements sweeping across North America and around the world. How does social change influence how people invest? Yeah, you know what? You're right. We we are seeing incredible change right now in, in the world. And I think what we're seeing is that people are becoming far more concerned about how their money is made or how money is made in profits um, from companies. And what I mean by that is, are they doing it in a way that's harming people? Are they doing it in a way that's harming communities or, or the environment? And I, I flip back to remembering a few years back where we saw in Bangladesh where there was a fire in a garment factory. And the implications or the the domino effect of, of, of change that happened from that was that people around the world were, you know, galvanized by this. And they're looking and seeing the working conditions that these individuals were working in. And what it did is it actually changed where you start to see them demanding that companies in Canada and North America and around the world that have their products put together in, in far off areas, that the conditions that the people that are there Um, working on those products, that they are treated in an ethical way. And now we're starting to see where consumers are a lot more aware of the problems in their community, whether it be social, whether it be systemic, you know, the processes and the, the way that governments are set up. And then they're looking at how companies are doing things. So they want companies that are more diverse in their governance structure. You know, what are their hiring policies when it comes to diversity? And what are their inclusion policies? What are their pay policies? You know, recently there's been a a group of, I think it's around 400 companies right now that are pulling away from wanting to advertise on Facebook because Facebook is really not doing a lot when it comes to addressing the hate speech that is on there. In fact, you know, you're seeing large companies like Coca-Cola, Ford, Adidas, but you're also seeing companies like Van City, a local company, you know, the company I work for that are saying, yeah, we're not going to be putting our advertising dollars to a company like Facebook until they make some fundamental changes to their practices there. So we're starting to see people wake up and really want to understand what's behind how money is made, how products are made, and what companies are doing in their, their community. 
Yeah, it's truly been pretty amazing to witness, uh, particularly around the whole sort of Facebook boycott movement and the kind of power that a company can have by withholding ad dollars, which is a huge part of, you know, why that company survives. Well, I think we've seen that in the mainstream media when it comes to you, you get a speaker on a you know, one of the cable networks and they they say something and you'll see advertisers pull their dollars away. And I think that's where, you know, when we talk about taking money off the table, taking profits away from companies, that's where you, you start to realize that that's how you can actually create change. And I think that's where the community and, and individuals are starting to realize that they may be small in, you know, one person or they may be a small group, but all of a sudden when you start to put all of that together, money does speak. And when you can pull that ad revenue away from a company like Facebook, that does hit the bottom line. And the hope is that by hitting that bottom line, it's going to create that change that you're actually after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's hoping. So earlier we heard from Peter Vandervelden. He's the managing general partner of a Canadian healthcare venture capital firm called Lumira. And he was talking about why their company chooses the more socially responsible route. But the company took their giving a step further. Venture capital firms get a share in the profits of the companies they fund. And Lumira decided to give 10% of those profits back to healthcare foundations across the country. Here's Peter on why they went that route and what it meant for the business. One thing we're really proud about as a firm, uh, we were the, really the first funding candidate to take part of our carry, which is really our profit share that we have ultimately, or the compensation we get for doing a good job on a fund. And we give 10% of that back to healthcare foundations across the country. And we did that really early on because we interact with those foundations, we interact with those institutions regularly. Uh, they're an important part of our ecosystem. Uh, we were all giving capital individually. Uh, we didn't have a coordinated strategy. And so we said, why don't we proactively say we align uh, good performance in the fund with giving capital to foundations across the country. And so we support literally coast to coast uh, some of the leading healthcare foundations. And what's, what's come out of that has been really interesting because we did that as pure philanthropy initially. And then it led to us having a lot more discussions with many of those institutions and foundations around the role we can play in partnering with them. And so we've ended up playing this completely different role uh, with many of those stakeholders simply as a function of being donors uh, and committed partners to the ecosystem. And so I, I think sometimes when you do these things, you don't understand all the ancillary benefits or all the different tangents that can evolve. But for us, it's really been all positive And it's the one thing we would encourage uh, other private equity and VC firms to do. I mean, to give back in a way that is connected to what you do is incredibly rewarding. I love that he described that as an ecosystem, that he's a part of a community and he's helping to support that ecosystem that his company is a part of. I agree. And I think that's that knowledge or that that recognition that they're not a standalone, that everything that they do has an impact on things around them, whether it be the community or other companies. So I, I really like the the way that his thinking is around that ecosystem, because it is a, a unique way of looking at it, but a much needed way that companies and entities need to start looking at things. So we're still in these topsy-turvy COVID times. We're still on the roller coaster. And I'd like to think most people would like to invest in a socially responsible way. But, you know, we're probably nervous about those statements, too. How do we go about greening our investments? What do we do and not do? You know, I think that's a great question. I think the first part about that would be knowing who you are and what your values are and what are you looking for when it comes to investments um, to put into a responsible investment portfolio. You know, there's a ton of options out there when it comes to being able to invest, whether it be mutual funds or exchange traded funds. And, 
ETFs or exchange traded funds, what they are are a basket of stocks that are put together and then they're sold on the, the stock market. And all of these funds and ETFs that are out there are branding themselves as responsible investments. But not everything that brands itself as a responsible investment necessarily is. And this is where really taking a look at maybe that fine print becomes important. And what I mean by this is there's a term called greenwashing. And what greenwashing is, is trying to make yourself out to be more green or more dedicated uh, to the environment than you really are. And, you know, back in the 1980s, there was a U.S. oil company that put together this massive ad campaign, and they were talking about how dedicated they were to the environment. During that time, though, that their ad was running, they were actually violating the Clean Air Act. They were violating the Clean Water Act, and they actually had some oil spills during that time. So here they were out trying to show themselves as being this environmental steward and really taking care of the environment. And at the same time, they were actually, you know, not walking that that talk. So this becomes a really important thing when you're looking at investing is making sure that the values that you have align to the companies that you're putting in and that the companies and the investments actually reflect those values. The other part to this becomes important is when you're looking at an investment advisor to work with. Not all advisors out there actually do things from an environmental or from a, a socially responsible way. So it's really important to ask them questions, you know, on how they are picking the, the companies and the investments that they invest their clients' money in. And then the other part that I think it's really important to understand when you're, you're wanting to add, you know, a, a responsible investment uh, lens to your portfolio is just because a company is green or in a green space does not necessarily mean that it's a good investment. You know, I, I've talked with many family members that will come to me and say, hey, I've heard about this really great company. It's going to be the next and then fill in the blank to that. And you can really see this in the environmental space as well. You know, there's going to be that wind farm. There's going to be that solar panel installation company that may on the surface look like they're in a great sector. But then when you actually look at the fundamentals to the, the company, they may actually not be a great investment. So it's making sure that you're looking at good quality investments that reach and maintain the values and align to the values that you have and that are really doing the things that they say that they are doing on a regular basis. It's really about asking a lot of questions to sort of peel off the layers and figure out what those companies are truly about. Definitely. It's about, you know, there's if you want to get to um, understanding what an investment is doing or what a company is doing, it's asking that next question. Like you said, peeling back the layers of that onion to understand that it does fit you and your values and that the fundamentals of the company are solid and that they are a good quality investment to put your money in. Okay. And speaking of that next question, I have one more for you. Um, I know the markets have mostly recovered right now, but, you know, we keep hearing about the second wave of COVID and unemployment numbers are still at record highs and our GDP has dropped more than it ever has in history. We're not going to go back to a true normal anytime soon. When it comes to our investments, are we going to be okay? You know, I think what COVID has actually shown us is it's highlighted the ways that our economy, the environment and our society are really interdependent and that you really can't split them out. And, and you know, we've seen the world change massively in a 30 day period of time. And then we we've seen how we've reacted to that in a very short period of time as well. I think that the key part is is having a plan and knowing what your plan is, knowing what your goals are when you're looking at investing. You know, the reality is it may seem different, but 
we still have to pay mortgages. We still have to pay our bills. Um, people are still buying consumer goods. We still have to retire at some point in time. We have, our kids are still going to go on to, to post-secondary education. So we're going to have to look at ways to pay that. And why this becomes important is that that's those things that'll help to get the economy going. Because as we start to spend, as we start to invest, as we start to work, um, you know, we do see improvements that will happen from there. In fact, that's why I, I think we are going to come back. It's a matter of time. But then you, you raise an interesting point. Our norm isn't necessarily going to be the same as it was before. You know, when I look back to what my wife and I used to do a Friday night in the 90s was really about going out to Blockbuster and grabbing a movie, grabbing the popcorn, sitting at home watching the, the videotape. You know, Blockbuster was a massive part of our culture, but it's also a company that really didn't see the trends that were out there. And, you know, they didn't innovate. They didn't adapt to what was going on. Now, Friday nights in my house haven't changed in terms of things. It's still movie night. But what we're doing now is it's Netflix or it's Amazon Prime or it's Apple TV that we're watching our movies on. And the reason being that those are companies that have adapted to the changing landscape and they put a focus on making sure that they were innovating and staying fresh. And that's where they've replaced the blockbusters of the world. So I think what we're going to see is out of this new norm, there's going to be new sectors. There's going to be new rules when it comes to, to businesses and strategies that businesses will have to innovate. And I think part of that is also going to be on that responsible investing area where companies that will come out of this are probably going to be those ones that have done good in the past from the sense of looking at beyond the, the profit side to it. So, you know, I do think that we are in uncharted territory in some ways, but at the same time, a market downturn um, has happened many times before and we've always come out of it. You know, I've said to many people in, in my life, it's going to be messy for a little bit and we just have to keep being comfortable in that uncertainty for a while. But in the long run, I do feel that we are, will see things get better. And And it comes back to what I was saying around you know, why wouldn't people want to invest in companies that are doing good? It's the same thing. Why would we not want to take this opportunity to look at changing the way we do things and finding that new norm? Yeah, it, I mean, it definitely feels like it's going to be messy for a little while longer, but I, I like that idea of staying comfortable in the mess. And and I have to say that this really has made me feel better, <laughs> That especially the, you know, idea that investments are that are more socially responsible are going to be doing so well. We could all use some good news right now, I think. Thanks so much, Joe. Joe Reed is Van City's VP of Wealth Management and Impact Investing. We'll have lots more helpful info in the weeks ahead, so don't forget to hit subscribe and recommend us to your friends. Thanks for listening to Good Money. Take care and stay safe.